Hello, everybody. This is uh, Joseph Saracy, and I'm sitting here with Silka Rose West. And um, you may know our work from How to Tell Stories to Children. And um, today, we're really just wanting to have a conversation to explore the greater um, field of work that we've both been involved in for the last at least some years, uh, for Silka, quite a bit longer than I. Um, and what that is, is it's education. And one of our particular interests, it's really what led us into storytelling in the first place, is outdoor education. And so I'd like to begin by just inviting you, Silka, who are you? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> well, um, I am a child of the earth. <laughs> I was raised on a, in a small village on a farm in Germany. And when, I, when somebody says, who are you? What comes to mind is like, I'm just this little farm girl that very early on in life thought like, wow, there's so much magnificence in nature. There's so much beauty. And at the same time, um, having a, quite awareness, being raised in a village and in a multi-general household, that human beings also carry a lot of suffering and they carry a lot of unresolved things. And uh, at a very young age, I wanted to find ways to connect nature and help people, humans, my parents, to find ways to heal and I made this I would say this discovery very early I thought like it's education if if education would be approached in the right way it could be such a healing force um, and that brought me later to become an educator and I had also been seeing how uh, educators who had been using, you could call the black pedagogy, which is like uh, dominating students through fear and through um, like punishment that was still acceptable when my parents were in school and, and how teachers were talked about as heroes. And I'm like, those are not heroes. That's wrong. And so I, I feel like this, I, I, I am a pioneer also. I came to America at the age of 21. Well, can I interrupt you there? Give us, just, just, just take us through your steps, because I know them. But, but take us through your steps of your, your, let's say, your formation, your education, how you became who you are today through this lens of education, but also just as a being. Right. May I? Sure. So... Um, I started it uh, in, in my village. I started to work with children in the church. I took uh, students in Sunday school and I always felt like, wow, these children are listening to me and my joy and my excitement makes them want to listen to me. And that led me then into going into teacher training. And when I finished my teacher training at age 21, I had met a uh, political refugee from Poland who was going to America and I'm like oh okay well I guess I can come too 
And at that point, my teacher trainers in Germany said, but you have job offers in Germany. Why don't you stay here? And I said, no, because I actually want to know what it's like to be a foreigner, to be an immigrant in a country in order to also teach that, in order to teach someone who is coming from the foreign lands. And so in Germany, we have a lot of uh, immigrants that come in. And I thought, like, how could I ever authentically teach that if I don't know what that's like? And that was my incentive of coming to America and exploring what, what is it like you, to be in a country where you don't speak the language and, you know, and connect. Okay, and then can I just add that in becoming your, your teacher training was training for kindergarten? Yes, yeah. Okay. Actually, it's called being an educator, and it was focused on kindergarten, but in Germany, we are exposed to age 0 to 18 because it's really learning how to look at the human being as a whole and understanding the little child is one day going to be this 18-year-old who then has to take the responsibility of an adult or 21. And then when I came to America, I realized that education was so um, compartmentalized where there was preschool, which made no sense to me because the word school is not used in the early childhood in Germany. A kindergarten means age three to six, but it does not indicate any academic learning. Right. It's a kindergarten. Yes. Right? And the teacher, actually, in my time, when I was little, was a kindergartner. Mm -hmm. And that's what the role was, to nurture these little beings like plants so they could grow and become their most beautiful self. Right. And you, you, you had this broader perspective on education, but you had this focus of being a gardener of young children, three to six. Is that's, that fair? That's correct. Okay, and yes. then you come to the United States. Yes, and there I discovered that, um, yeah, there was already so much academic learning in these early years, and play was not understood, the imagination, and I'm like, okay, I need to find something what I can relate to, and that's how I found my way to Waldorf education in mm. Miami, Florida. And I saw that through Waldorf education, the people that turned towards that day had an understanding of play and how important it is in the early childhood. And so I um, got involved in a Waldorf school in Miami. And then later, when I came to New Mexico and had my own children, I actually started with three other moms, a Waldorf school in Taos. And I'm like, this speaks to who I am. Um, and in Taos, I also realized that I wanted to raise my own children. Being in America, I felt like what I need, what aspects were important for me was that there is this, I need to create a village because I don't have the village for my child. And I want that to be a global village with beings from all different walks of life, which is in Taos very easily possible. And also that there is this uh, nature connection in festivals like the maple dance or the advent spiral. 
And it was also important that there is a spiritual component because I didn't belong to a church here. And where I grew up, everybody belonged to a church. So it didn't have a spiritual community. And so the school became all of that for me. And... Um, well, can I... So can I add in some pieces here? Sure. Uh, and ask you to flesh it out, mm -hmm. right? Just because I know a lot of this story and it's a fascinating story. Um, so, so I, I'd, I'd like to ask you: Can you give us a sense of of, of your career, right, mm -hmm. at the Waldorf School? And I think I would like to add because sometimes, of course, we don't say this of ourselves. Um, I know Silka so intimately, um, and and also the community uh, that we work with now. But also, you know, many of your kindergartners are now in college and beyond, right? Um, maybe even into their thirties. You've been working with kids so long. You've had so many kids in your care, right? Silka was, I think it's fair to say, Silka was the heart, was the spirit of the school. There were other founders, right? Um, and especially what you held there was, um, yeah, I, I think the heart really gets to it. Um, that's how I just know everybody to treat you. Um, and uh, as opposed to, say, for example, the um, administrative <laughs> component, which I know that you were involved in, you were involved in all these parts, but what you really held was that um, spiritual center of that school. So could you give us a little bit of explanation of how, like, how long was that? How many years was that? What did that look like? And just in brief, I think we'll explore these things later, but can you give us some of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it started in 1995, and at that point, my oldest daughter was five, and my little one was just a baby, one years old. And um, the need for a school for my older daughter was just so strong that uh, the other founders also had children, and that we said, well, this is important now. And... Um, I think having been raised in a village with the education that I had and that I brought, I was able to hold that heart energy of like, oh yes, this is so precious. But at the same time, I could never have founded a school on my own because the know-how of how to go about things in America and in this town, you know, you needed to have people that had roots here and that had an understanding of the workings, uh, you know, with the regulations and all that. And so we had this brilliant uh, group of four founders that really worked together in a good way and um, and then we upheld the school until our own children had graduated and went into the Taos High School and thereafter I stayed longer some of the founders had at that point departed um, and, and you were still teaching and I, kindergarten I still stayed in the kindergarten but I was always involved with the older kids because when my kindergartners left me I wanted to stay connected so I taught German to them which is my native language and so I that's again that's where my heart energy is very strong and then I brought festivals in through these languages and um, yeah and and so when you ask for a school to also be your spiritual community 
And with Waldorf schools that happens, we speak our verses, the teachers meditate in the morning. You're all of a sudden, there was a time in life when we were given also situations like the death of a child, the mm -hmm. death of a mother, the death of the handwork teacher. And when these things come up, you all of a sudden realize that there is so much holding that we, we need to do. And what I was for the school, I would say for the children, if uh, uh, something came up like that, I felt like I held that kind of hmm, energy to support our community and say, well, this is very difficult, but we can, we can move through this. Let's be strong and hold the children and uh and help the teachers but in it there is um it, it's a lot to hold and so at one point i actually i would say i burned out yeah so and and how went like how how long were you at the school you started 95 20 years 20 years yeah. so you're teaching kindergarten for 20 years mm -hmm. there at taos waldorf yeah. school prior to that you had worked with kids before here yeah. and there, after about 20 years, you kind of burned out. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Because <laughs> it gets more interesting. <laughs> well, the burnout phase, uh, I, there was a, a phase prior to that, and we did really a lot of in-depth uh, studies at the school, and the school was in growing pain, and my family, uh, my, my marriage fell apart and every founder, there was something in every area and you could just see it was too much to hold and we would have needed something to hold us that we just didn't have in place. And so um, when I went into burnout, I had to actually really, I ended up in the hospital and I realized I... I had pushed myself too hard and I was not able to or willing to look actually at my own personal life. Mm. And so my youngest daughter had fallen into addiction. My marriage had fallen apart. Um, there were just many things that had just, um, they became very difficult. And I think this is a subject I think you and I would like to return to in the future and explore in right. greater depth because I think you have an incredible um, level of uh, analysis and an understanding here of that whole process and how teachers um, and school leaders um, you're asked to give so much um, and sometimes the personal impacts I've just seen that with with so many teachers now that you work with and the ways that you support them not just in their role as in the classroom but in their lives how are you truly taking care of yourself I think this is beautiful, but continue. Tell us, tell us your next steps, where that led you. Well, the next step was at age 49, um, coming home from a hospital, my daughter's already being in Europe. I'm being divorced. I'm alone in my home and I'm realizing um, it's time to truly look at my life. And I, I was alone in my home with my Christmas tree. And every night somebody came and helped me out, the people from the school. And it was like the angels took care of me. 
But I also realized I, in order to get back on my feet and to regain my health and my livelihood, I needed to make a shift. And so I, um, I, I made a decision to go on a sabbatical, on an unpaid sabbatical in my 49th year of life. And it was a very scary decision because I'm like, okay, can I make it one year with the financial responsibilities that I have without any income? And I, I actually was able to do it. And I had an elder in the community who had heard that I had gotten sick. And she asked me to come to her once a week. She was a therapist uh, slash energy worker, Reiki. And she said, she was a grandmother. She was in her 70s. And she said, Silke, come to me once a week. And I and talk to me and I said, I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm burned out. I don't I'm tired of my own stories. And she said, exactly. That's why you need to come. I'm not charging you anything. Just come. And she helped me accountable to see that 49 year sabbatical through because I wanted to give up. And she said, no, you're not. You cannot sabotage your heart. You are needing to stay with that. She said, trust, what you need will come. And that fall, I had an old Waldorf teacher who was long retired come into town. And she said to me, Silke, I hear you're on an unpaid sabbatical. Can I write you a thousand dollar check? And I'm like, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow, isn't this amazing how the angels are at work they're actually helping me they want me to rest and then i in that year i went into the i had a, a few other unexpected sources of money come my way and i really felt like okay if i can only uh, now find my inner voice should i continue working with children or uh, do i return to the school and um at that point, I made the decision, actually, I, I need to continue working with children. I actually don't need to return to the school. I, as a founder, need to just say I have done all I can and I'm, I'm letting the school go. It was very difficult. It's like uh, letting your child go mm. and say, you know, I did the best I could and I actually need to move on because otherwise I can't live. And so I made that decision and I also went on a spiritual journey of the moon dance, which is a dance down in Mexico with grandmothers that dance in the night. And that gave me strength because I was around elders who had a lot of life force and physical strength and that were engaged and they danced for the earth and for like the love life and raise your feet, lift your voice, sing with us. And that's what I needed. Mm. And I'm like, okay, these grandmothers are telling me it's okay, you can do it. And so my old grandmother here in town, she kept holding me too. And I decided then to teach again, but in a whole new way. And so I did the next pioneering adventure, and that was I'm going into the forest. I'm going to um, 
teach a forest kindergarten. And my younger daughter had told me about that in Germany. And I knew that Germany had already done studies that showed how good it is for kids to be in forest kindergartens. And I only had heard about it and I'm like, oh, I'm so connected to nature. I'm a farm girl. I love the woods and I know Taos. I have my roots here. I know my trails. And all I need is three children. And I found three students that said, where the parents said, sure, we'll send our kids with you. And before you knew it, it was more and was five, then was eight, and you know, and people kept sending their kids. And I used myself actually as a, um, I, I did a self-study on the burned out teacher to yeah. see would I grow sick again or would I grow healthier? And I actually made it all through the year without getting sick. I felt myself growing stronger. I had more life energy, more vitality. Than when you did when you were teaching in the classroom. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. And partially because I every day I went and I showed up for the kids, but then I went home and I laid on the couch and I rested, drank my tea, and just I, I didn't have to go into meetings. I didn't have to do extra curricular work. I was just able to be present for the kids. And that's what it took. And that's when you came into my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd like to get in a little bit into, into who I am and my piece. But before we do, just for, for anybody who might be listening and goes, Forest Kindergarten, I've never even heard of that. Or maybe I've heard of that. But what, is it, what does that look like? Honestly, what is that? Or what did it look like for you? Hmm. Just, just a little bit. Um, for me, that's um, teacher, child, and nature as the classroom. These are the three components. And it takes parents that fully trust the teacher, because it's a scary thing to send your kids out into the wild, especially in the Wild West. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it takes a teacher who fully trust themselves in nature, has a really strong nature connection and also has this strong sense with the children that I'm like, of course, I'm going to be fine taking these children into nature. Mm -hmm. All these components, they have to be so strong. It's uh, that that it's like that it's natural, you could say. Right. Um, one has to be okay with simplicity. Like I have to let go of like, oh, but I should bring all these things. No, I actually had to come to, hmm, I have to have my classroom in my backpack. Right. But I actually need my saw in order to cut wood for the fire. I actually need rope and I need maybe a rain tarp. And all of a sudden, actually, I don't have room to take a lot of toys. Hmm, maybe I'll just make my toys. I can make my toys. <laughs> and then I thought it was liberating. I felt like, wow, I'm carrying my classroom materials in my backpack, going out into nature. There will be a season table that Mother Nature already set up for me. Right. In, uh, in comparison to your Waldorf classroom. Yeah. Right. Which... Uh, maybe a little bit different than uh, uh, public school or typical public school kindergarten, yeah. but nevertheless is very full of materials, right? 
sure. silks. We, You've got you have your... beautiful nature materials and the materials all speak to the love of nature. And we have nature season tables and they're lovely and they're beautiful. And yet for me, I felt like after my burnout, I went back into nature and I could say, Mother Nature, just show me where is your most beautiful season table. I brought one of my gnomes. Can right. it just live here? Because you know what? That's all the energy I have left. And I was received. I felt like I was really received by Mother Nature herself. And I realized that's if that's all I got, do I still have something to offer to the children? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, keep going. And then I would tell stories to the kids and I would sing my songs. And I actually would feel every day that we had a very rich experience in the woods. Mm. And just just again to be clear for, for anybody listening, but if it rained or throughout the winter when it was cold, you had some place that you could go and warm up. Uh, we would make a fire. To and just help, what I'm saying is, yeah. help us understand. <laughs> help, help, help somebody who knows nothing at all, right? So you're saying you're out there in the woods yes. with these kids that are how old? Uh, four and five and six. Four, five, and six. And we would look for places. And first of all, we make ourselves familiar with the surroundings. But what happens if it rains? Then we find shelter and we put up our rain tarp. And in New Mexico, it doesn't rain that often. But when it does rain, you want to be prepared. You want to know where to go. So that's part of our learning. We are going out into the nature classroom and we familiarize ourselves so we know we don't look for that place when it rains. We're actually looking for that place before. We're aware of what kind of a day is it? Do we need to prepare for the rain? Does it look like it might move in? So, After, so we have to be attentive. In the first year of outdoor teaching, I was thinking about my grandfather who was a farmer and I thought he never had a telephone that had a weather app. Mm. And in the first year, I not once looked at the weather app. I did it later. But in the first year, I challenged myself. I'm like, I have to be in tune with the weather. I need to be able to just look at the clouds and the sky and have a sense is it coming in? Mm -hmm. And I also told the kids, we can talk to the cloud beings. We can talk to the sun. Oh, dear sun, come over the ridge because we need to get warm. And then we paid attention how the sun shifted when the time change happens in the fall. And so we had to move to a different location to get warm enough. Yeah. We couldn't to be, be in the sun. yeah to be in the sun. Yeah. That's vital in New Mexico. And right. if you look at the Native Americans that lived in the cliff dwellings too, you know the shade and the sun. Those things were important to them. Right. You know how to work with that. You can live in New Mexico. Yeah. And then if there were uh, terrible snowstorms or something, you know, I would sometimes I would say, oh, we could come out to my house and I would have uh, make an exception and say we can come, you know, or we, if we were in the nature, we would build a fire and we would say, well, we'll have to make a fire. And also we need to move. We need to move. If it gets cold, that's just, just stay warm. move our bodies, move our bodies. We yeah. got to stay warm, you know. Yeah. 
And so one time a child said, I don't want to move. And I said, well, you could tend the fire then. And she's like, I'll tend the fire. I'm like, that's okay. I'll let you tend the fire. Yeah. And so, um, okay, I'd love to dive into some other pieces, but just coming back to that point that you said earlier, is that, I mean, because, you know, for some of us, we might go, well, that, wow, that sounds extremely challenging. Not only are you teaching kindergarten, but you're doing it in the middle of a forest without any shelter other than the trees and maybe a tarp that you've brought and a fire that you can mm -hmm. kindle. Um, and yet what you said a, a little bit ago was that at the end of the year, you felt replenished. You felt, you felt like you got through that year and you felt whole in a way that after a year in your classroom at the Waldorf school, at least at times, you felt drained, like it took a lot out of you. Is that right? Yeah, because in the classroom, I also, it was always, we upheld, we tried to uphold the bigger school in a town that's uh, really challenged when it comes to the economics. And so it was always trying to uphold something bigger. So after you graduate your students, you go into meetings, you go into, you have to do reflections, you have to do material orders. I mean, you name it and your summer is like, there is a little bit left in the summer, but you just have to give endlessly. Yeah. And maybe I just, in the founders, it's almost like a founder's sickness. If a, a founders are usually very good pioneers, they're good to start something. And when they started, it's good for them to hand it over. Mm. But if they stay with it, they become a little bit like an overprotective parent. And mm. they're doing, they're, they're trying to help everywhere. Yeah. And then we we lose the ability to actually hold ourselves accountable to ourselves. And that's, you could call it almost a founder's disease, I would say. Yeah. You know, and so there's no fault. It's just that a, a founders, I think, have, they should be reminded that they have this pioneer energy. They're like, what, what lives in you? What, what is exciting you? And I think that's when you came into my life, Joe, and you reminded me of that too. It's like, oh, this is exciting. Wow, look what you're doing. No one else in this town is doing it. How come you're thinking about that? What brought you here, you know? Yeah. So you, you actually showed me that what I was doing was pretty unique. And maybe I couldn't even have seen that myself. Yeah, interesting. Well, okay. If I may then, can I just veer... My, my story is a lot shorter. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'd like to just give a little bit of background of who I am and how I entered into this discussion. Right? Okay. Um, so um, similar to Silka, I kind of entered uh, this world of kids and really just kids. I now am a teacher but for originally it was really just kids uh, through my own daughter. Um, and when she was about three, it just occurred to me. Um, and I was, I was, I was very, um, I don't know if the word is poor at the time, but I was living real close to the bone. Um, and, but what I had is time, what I did have is time. Um, and I, I saw that she needed that social interaction. Um, and so I just, um, I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm very uncomfortable, um, kind of 
caring for a group of children. The idea of having three or four children and I'm the only one, uh, the only adult kind of uh, tending them was intimidating, extremely intimidating. And I said, so that sounds like a very good challenge <laughs> for me. And I didn't have the money to uh, bring my daughter to some wonderful person like you um, or whomever um, to say, great, oh, this is a great way for the kids to hang out. Um, and so I just started putting myself out there. I just said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna hang out with kids. So if you wanna send your, your child to hang out with me for the day, um, I'm up for that. And mostly what we're gonna do is we're gonna hang out in nature. I mean, that's by and large what we did. And it was almost exactly at that time that I met you. Um, and it was that fall when you began the very first year of the Earth Children um, that I became your kind of part-time assistant. And I basically just said, hey, could I, could I bring my daughter and a friend uh, a couple times a week and join you and I'll help you out a little bit. And um, you, you were gracious enough to do that. You didn't charge me. Um, and I, I sort of helped, although I didn't really help that much as, <laughs> at first. Um, and that very first year I think was so precious for all of us, for the kids. It certainly was for me and it was for you, such that at the end of that year, and at, by that point you had so many parents and children interested that you had a pretty good crew. Um, you hired me as your full-time assistant. Um, and this, this was a huge uh, change for me. Now, admittedly, I've had a, a several, let's say, huge changes. You know, my, my background is that I'm, I'm, I'm trained to be a civil engineer. <laughs> I went to school um, to build buildings um, uh, and uh, do that kind of work, which I did for several years and had a similar, um, not at 49, but at age 23, I hit absolute burnout. And I was like, this, this isn't for me. Um, and I, I bumbled around a little while um, until I, until I, I kind of found um, you and this work with, with children, right? Um, and then we had another beautiful year that I worked with you full time and we were really um, uh, engaged uh, with the kids and, and just so much grew out of that. And some of these other, like you talk about festivals and things, we did a lot of different events that weren't just school events, but just kids events, harvest festivals, Christmas, um, outside, different things. And continually focusing on these, these interactions outside, Easter. We did a lot of Easter's all outside. Um, and, and we do have, you know, we live here in northern New Mexico where we do have access to quite a bit of wilderness. So that's, that's, a, that's a gift that we have. Of course, not everybody in the world can do this. But this is, anyways, this is our story. This is my story. So we did that for a while um, until uh, basically my daughter and, and some of the kids that had been in your kindergarten were now, you know, ready, ready to enter um, school age. And by that point, um, I'm not a Waldorf teacher. In fact, I don't have teacher training. Um, but at that point, um, I had heard about this idea in Waldorf schools where the grade school teachers take the kids from first through eighth grade. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a very intriguing and interesting idea. Um, I had never heard of that before, but I, I, was, I was kind of smitten with that idea. And so I said, okay, well, these kids have kind of grown out of Silka's uh, forest kindergarten. Um, 
I'm going to try to create something like this. Um, I mean, particularly for my daughter, right? Um, but also, um, so in some sense, right, I'm, I'm a homeschool parent, right? I never saw that coming. <laughs> but that's the reality. But I would never do what I'm doing um, if it was like me and my daughter. I, I, I'm not really interested in that because it's important to me that she has that socialization piece. Um, and so I tried to expand. And in that very first year, if you remember, I really had only one other student. And that, that first year was, it was wonderful in a lot of ways, but it really take, took some, some building. Um, and the second year I got uh, four more. Um, and now this year, um, actually there was another year and then we went through COVID and all that. And at this point, um, we have eight kids in our group. Um, and we are not um, an independent school. Um, we really are kind of a, a homeschool group. Um, but I do kind of take the lead in that way. And, and here's the piece uh, that goes with that, which is that we are, we remain exclusively outside. Um, now we're in to that grade school curriculum. Um, and so I'm, I'm rigorous um, when it comes to that academic piece, because that's actually what if anything, that was my strong piece in school. That's why I went to school for civil engineering. I was, I was always, I was an exceptional student. Um, and it was in the work world that I finally sort of became what I was trained to be, that I was like, wait a minute. Um, that really shocked me. And I, I spiraled for quite a while um, until I found my place in working with kids, right? So now I'm trying to take this forest kindergarten model that I've witnessed in Silka and create that for a group of kids as we go through the grades. Um, and so this is how Silka and I have worked together. And now Silka and I continue to, to work together. Um, at this point, actually with my group, um, I really am kind of taking the lead here with the kids, but Silka does support me even quite a bit uh, with um, extra lessons, um, uh, things that I can't really teach, particularly handwork, a foreign language, um, and especially some of the other community pieces that you're stronger at. Um, but we remain intimately linked through this concept of outdoor education. Um, so that's the subject that that I would at least really like to explore more with you, Silka, is what is it that so attracts us to this idea of educating children outside? And I, I'm curious to see if we take this in, in other directions at times. Um, and it took us a lot to just kind of get our stories. Who are we? Why are we coming to this subject? Um, but maybe we could give a little bit of attention to just what? What is it? Like, why are we enamored with outdoor education? Are we just wackos? I mean, are we just eccentrics? I mean, maybe we are. <laughs> you know, I think that, that maybe that's possible. Um, but, but you and I especially you, Silka, you've been educating and working with kids for so many years. Your perspective is so ripe. 
Why do we do what we do? Um, well, one of the things that is attracted me also to Waldorf education was that um, the classrooms, they were, there was, the teachers told stories, the teachers drew on the chalkboards, there is just so much uh, beauty and there is no technology actually in the uh, early years up, up until eighth grade. Um, so kids are exposed to that in the in the later grades. And I think for me that was very important, just like it was important for me that there would be play in the kindergarten. It was important that technology, computers, would not be substituting human beings. Because I, being raised, being uh, being an educator, who sees how the human being uh, develops in the early years will impact their whole life. And there are so many human beings that are so connected to electronic devices that they have a hard time looking into the eyes of another human being. And I'm like, in a classroom setting nowadays, um, it's, you know, the question will come up, well, aren't you doing computers or whatever? But when you're outside, you're like, well, there's no electricity out there. Like, or maybe, well, in the, if we go into the forest, so the question doesn't come up for the kids. Okay, but I'm going to challenge you here. Yes. Because, because, I, because I know for myself, I don't spend any of my time not doing something. I only do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to redefine, sort of, maybe reposition your comment of, I'm not so interested in what you're not doing. And what you're and not technology. That's actually just not that. Okay. I get it. Sure. Okay. But I want to know what you are doing. Well, because right? I because because I, I I think I think I know. So for me, going outside with kids and living outdoors is like first of all, I am part of Mother Nature. Climate is something I know about because I live it. I know about temperature drops. I know what time the storms are rolling in. I actually know where the wind doesn't blow outside. Where's that corner? Where's the place that the river doesn't sing anymore? You know, all these pieces that we learn by being outside. Um, paying attention to the clouds, paying attention to the weather. Is the, are the clouds rolling in? I feel connected. I feel that kind of connection that make, gives me a life livelihood that makes me feel alive. And I see it in the children. It makes me resilient. It makes me strong. There's something when I said I was thinking about my grandfather when I didn't look at the weather app in that first year of teaching because I'm like, how did my grandfather do that? How was he able to walk strong and tall and straight into his old age? And always said, I'm so happy when I walk over my fields. And I thought, like, he walked. My grandpa actually never drove a car. He walked. And I'm like, that's what it will take for me. And so walking with the kids outdoors, walking to the classroom, arriving in the outdoors and saying, today is going to be a cold day, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to be fine. We got each other. Yeah. 
I think so, something that you did sort of speak to earlier, and I think is something that that I feel connected to in outdoor education. You mentioned this idea of computers, and, and you said you didn't want them to substitute for people. And I think that what what you mean there is that you value the human connection. Yes. Right? Yes. That's the that's the positive way to state right. say okay. that. Right. Which is that <laughs> what I care about is I care about humans developing the skill of of loving, tending, and working with other humans. That's something I I care about that because I find that in myself, right? When I isolate in my life and I'm kind of going through my tasks and I'm interacting with lots of different objects um, and maybe I'm so caught up in what I'm doing that I kind of, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for my daughter. I don't have time for whatever. These are times where I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing and you know what, damn it, I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. Internally, I don't feel so good. In fact, I accomplish a lot, but my internal feeling, not always so good. When I build into the structure of my day, the ability to actually move slow enough that I can greet the people that I'm around and I'm with and I have time, I have time. For you. I have time to look you in the eyes, to hear you out. I have time for my students to actually just listen. Hey, where are you at today? I hear you. We're, we, of course we're human. Of course this morning was maybe a little bit difficult and that's why you're frustrated right now. And <laughs> that's why you can't really give a lot of attention to this lesson. I want to be able to do that with people. Because when I do, it feeds me, right? I feel good inside. As a human being, I just actually, I kind of feel good when those things happen. So I, I, I want to, I think that's what you were saying earlier, right? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say it in that positive sure. expression. Yeah. Um, and then another piece that actually I was thinking of when you said that is this engagement with I'm going to use the word knowledge, okay? And this is something that you and I have talked about before and we've encountered. It's so interesting. Uh, I can remember over the last several years, you, 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 would, you would go in an interview, you would really, you wouldn't just take kids on, right? You really would sit and talk with parents, sometimes over multiple um, interviews at their house, over the phone, at the coffee shop, over here, you would have them visit. I mean, you would not just let somebody in, <laughs> you know, somebody shows up with a $500 check. You were like, you know, okay, hold on. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's make a decisions here. And one of the things that I noticed over and over is that the students that you often did not take, right. Um, and not, not in a nasty way, not in some rejection, but you invited is like, Hmm, I think you should think about this or come back to me in a year. We're frequently parents who were, definitely kind of groovy and interested in nature. And when you really sat with them and you saw their home and you saw their life, what you saw was their connection to nature was often, I want to say something like fact-based or um, often it was around planet Earth. We just love planet Earth. We love watching the blah, 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 blah. We love learning about the animals and we love learning about but what they didn't have necessarily was this physical embodied knowledge and practice of being 
on the earth right here and now, right? And so I'm using that as an example of the kind of education that I find exhilarating. Sometimes is it's a very different kind of knowledge when you literally just experience these things. Like we're out here in these canyons and forests. Sometimes we're having specific lessons on things, but we're not going up to every tree and talking about exactly what this is and the biological blah, 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 blah. We're just literally being there with these trees, with these winds, with the insects, with the animals, with the temperature, with all the changes, all the seasons. Now, it's not only that, right? Because, of course, like I said, I'm taking kids through the grade level. I mean, we're, 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 we're covering extremely rich material at times. But when we're in this earth context, we're actually not sheltered by the walls of our classroom. It's not sterile. We, we, have, we don't have any sterility. <laughs> we are so exposed. And it is sometimes distracting. But as a whole, what I find is that myself and also the kids are outrageously poised. They're aware, they're present. And in that way, they're often very even frequently present to the material that we're covering in class, even if that's multiplication, right? And that's what excites me about what we're doing. And that's why I, I even at this point, am kind of uh, I'm a little bit of a stickler for mm -hmm. it, you could say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can, what comes to mind for me too is like in the school, I had to, I would have to write up the discipline policy and all the steps we take. And I just, I never had many difficulty with discipline things in the forest. And partially because I think nature absorbs a lot. Yeah. Also, I didn't, have to tell the children like oh you should not wear this or not wear that because what it came down to is what you wore was what you were wearing and the kids understood that it had to have a certain quality of keeping you warm or cooling you down or shoes that are actually shoes made for walking and not for looking good because looking good just goes only so far in nature showing off your fancy hat if it's not warm it's not going to make you happy so it's like you come down to what's real this is real we we, we need some some good shoes can keep your feet warm in the winter you know and so you have to be attentive already when you get ready for school you forget your hat you're going to be cold for the day Maybe somebody has an extra hat in their pack, but you are you you can't you don't have that luxury of like oh well I'll just won't go outside because I don't have a hat today. You are basically having to learn to show up prepared. Yeah. 
and the children learn that and sometimes it's hard when the parents don't have that same reality because the parents may not be able to relate to but as the children grow older they understand I need to have my water bottle with me that's the only water I have and then even the relationship to water it's like oh I'll just go and fill it up no I can't I'm actually in a place where there's no water I gotta have the water with me that I need right. and the children learning that in order for the tribe to survive I'm using now this word tribe but for the family we can also use the word family we have to help each other out if we're out in the forest and somebody is cold of course we figure out how to help them out right. uh, if somebody doesn't have water of course we give it to them but if everybody would forget it we would just like wow we have to go home we can't be out here today. And so they're learning the responsibility towards each other as well. Right. And that's, the, that's actually the basis of community learning. My way of showing up will impact everybody else in the group. And there's no better way of learning that than being really out in the open. Like if I as a teacher forget my tarp and it's raining, it's not going to be a good day. So we are all holding ourselves fully accountable. And so it's these little things that are huge lessons. And these lessons have been taken out of uh, indoor learning where, you know, well, if you don't have it, I'm sure there's something in the cubby or there is extra water. We, we can forget and because of climate change and the place where we are in the, uh, at the earth right now, in these times, I think it's good to remember. It's good to remember what actually really matters. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. we, and that's what our outdoor education offers us. What matters? What do I need to have in my pack today in order to survive? Yeah, I think, I think that the way we approach education... Uh, really at, at almost all levels um, in, in the modern world is we try to create um, a comfortable environment where we, we minimize the, our needs, where you know, it's room temperature, we, have, we control the light, um, we, we have water or whatever you know, that we need, we've got the paper on, on the shelf, We've got the pencils, we've got the, the chalkboard or the whiteboard, we've got all the pieces um, and things in place so that we can put as much out of our minds so that we can focus on the material, right? I mean, I think that as a teacher, I mean, I myself surely, of course, do do, do that, right? In order to focus on the material, we need to not <laughs> be doing these other things. Um, so it can sound kind of radical to be like, whoa, wait a minute, now we're out here. And, and, I'll, and I will tell you, I mean, one of the things out here that we really is, is distracting is the wind, perhaps more than, than, the, than the heat or, or the um, cold temperatures. Um, it blows our papers around all the time. <laughs> but we have to deal with it and we do deal with it and we learn mm -hmm. how to deal with these right. things. Um, and in learning to deal with these things, um, being present, with our needs, being present with our social needs, um, it, our learning happens within a context. It's, it's within a real context. We're not isolating ourselves to focus. We're actually saying, 
We're right here in this place and in this time. Yeah, well, um, boy, I think there's just so much that that I find interesting in this conversation. And I think maybe, um, maybe we can wrap up. Um, but what I'd like to put out there is just, um, if, if you've made it this far and listened and you find this interesting, it would really help us to get feedback and know if this kind of conversation, um, if this, uh, because I, I think we could we could delve into a lot of specific topics here about outdoor education and the different aspects of really many pieces. Um, if this is fruitful to you, let us know because we're actually approaching this very casually. Um, this is just what what interests us. And it was through this work, right, that if, if you know our other work, that, that how to tell stories to children grew out because a lot of what we do is storytelling. And um, I think that's how most people know us as storytellers. But this is the context in which that work blossomed, right? Um, yeah, so we the feedback would be helpful. Yeah, and I personally, I just still believe that education is just such an important thing and... Um, you know, there's also ways to uh, balance the indoor and the outdoor classroom. There is not just one way. And I feel mm -hmm. like as this pioneer, I will always look and say, well, where's the trail that no one has walked on yet? And I just invite everyone to look at that in their own lives. If you're an educator or a parent, where's the trail you haven't walked on yet? Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, would you be willing to walk in a place where there's no trail yet and uh, just do a little bit of self-discovery and ask questions because we are here to engage in conversation if that is wanted. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Soka. I, I, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm. And good luck to everybody out there. Uh, you, you, you said it well. This is just interesting to us. We're not necessarily speaking about this because like, we're not proselytizers. We don't want to convince anybody else to do what we're doing um, or that even that what we're doing is good. We, we believe in ourselves. We, we, we know where we're at. Um, and it might be that this is interesting to share, but boy, do we love what everybody else is doing too. A lot of good work happening in the world. Um, so thank you for emphasizing that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you.